Hey, it's Greg Brady, and welcome to Wednesday, and welcome to the Bill Kelly Show podcast for June 24th. A lot to do on the pod today. We talked to the Premier. Doug Ford was making the round, spent some time with us, probably more time than he wanted to, but we had a lot to get to in terms of asking him questions about where Hamilton's at in Stage 2 and where Toronto and Peel are going getting to Stage 2 today. In fact, overnight, as a matter of fact. Also issues of pandemic pay for the nurses and the borders. And Doug Ford talked about that in terms of why we can't be doing that right now and his urging to Prime Minister Trudeau that the borders have to stay closed, open for business, but not for the rest of us. We'll touch on the education curriculum and a few other things as well. Troy Reeb joins us, Executive Vice President of Broadcast Networks for Chorus and Global News. NBC streaming content. I'll tell you this as a longtime television streamer. It's been hard to track down a lot of their stuff, the old stuff and the new stuff. So there's some reboots and some brand new shows. He'll tell us all about that as it gets added to the global lineup, including an iconic television news show as well. Alan Carter to discuss the Toronto Police and SIU investigations, what needs to change and what we need to do with wellness checks. They're not working the way they are. I think we can pretty much establish that. There are members of police forces that say, it's not working. And back to the math curriculum from the Ontario government. Some teachers are frustrated, but parents have asked for this for a long time, and now they're getting it. Caroline Alfonso, education reporter from the Globe and Mail, joins us on the podcast. It's all coming up, so do enjoy. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Hamilton now five days into stage two. Some success. They celebrated literally in the GTA last night. Patios opened at 12.01 a.m. And yeah, there were people ready to get out there. Toronto and Peel able to open up last night. So let's go right to the top. Ontario's got almost, uh, you know, 15 million, pe- 15 million people in it. Let's go to the premier of the province. He is Doug Ford. Doug, thank you very much for making the time. I can only imagine how busy you are. So I appreciate some minutes today. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Greg. It's great to uh, be on uh, your show, and and let's rock and roll. Well, I had a couple people totally independent uh, of each other yesterday say they loved what you said yesterday about not getting a haircut until Windsor uh, and Essex are in the right place. Because I'll tell you, like I said, almost 15 million people, none of us are experiencing this equally. We're all having good moments, bad moments, uh, sleeping at night, not sleeping at night. But I thought that's what a leader does. That's what somebody, regardless of of politics, regardless of who voted for you, who didn't, that's somebody that that has everybody's back. And I thought that was an important thing to say. Well, I appreciate that, Greg. I just kind of threw that question at me yesterday, and I thought that's just not fair. You know, why why the the people, and I love the people down in Windsor-Essex, they're they're hurting right now, and we've all stuck together as a province, and that's why we're, we're doing better than anyone in North America. We have the lowest numbers per 100,000 cases, and I thought, I'm, I'm going to hang in there until the, the people of Windsor-Essex, and then I just committed. I'm going to go down there and get my haircut down there somewhere with uh, <laughs> some of the other folks. But, you know, we, uh, you know the old saying, we, we, we're in this together, and I'll, I'll tell you, we're going to stick together, and we're, we're going to get those people up and going very, very shortly. Things are coming together now, and, and uh, we just have the mm. best province you know, anywhere, in jurisdiction anywhere in the world. We have the greatest people in the world, and... Uh, just so proud to represent everyone. Well, the GTA moves to stage two today. Like I said, uh, the, the city and the, and the residents you're talking to right now did five days ago. But Toronto, you know, sometimes, and, and not everybody loves it, but you know the city so well, and sometimes, uh, you know, as, as Toronto goes, everything else goes. So you must have some anticipation, some excitement, and, and sure, all of us do some anxiety about how these next uh, 10 to 14 days are going to go. It's an important 10 to 14 days. 
Yeah, Greg, you're bang on. It's absolutely critical um, that number one, we continue to you know make sure we social distance and and because the, the you know everyone talks about the second wave could come uh, you know around the backside and and uh, bite us there. So we have to be uh, very diligent and continue uh, focusing on social distancing, but also try to get back to to life. Uh, you know, as they say, the new normal. Um, but we're, we're, we're doing extremely well as a province. And again, it's not about uh, me or the government. It's about all the people that pitched in and all the, the businesses that switched over their lines. No one can stop us when we're all uh, pulling in the same direction. Uh, Ontario is unstoppable and, and we're going to continue uh, to be the engine of Ontario and the leader in economic growth and, and job uh, creation once we get through this. We're going to turn the economy on like uh, the lakes of which this province has never seen. Premier Doug Ford, our guest on 900 CHML. Uh, I, I want to give you a moment to talk about the healthcare workers. Uh, you know, some of the uh, praise because because the you know the the hospital bed situation has eased. We all, I think, we're not only hopeful, Premier Ford, we're confident that the the very very worst is is behind us. But I hope for years, for decades to come, we look back on this era, um, you know, much like we did during the World Wars, and say. This was a remarkable achievement uh, by all our healthcare workers from top to bottom. You get Greg. I use that analogy all the time. Uh, you know, I'm a big history buff. I mm-hmm. watched World War II and how everyone ramped up, pulled together, and and uh, thank God we aren't in a war, but we're in a war with an enemy that we can't see, and it's a vicious, vicious enemy. But we're winning. We're winning this war. Our numbers are low again, uh, below the 200 mark. So we're we're uh, we're biting away at this. Uh, virus and, and we're winning at the end of the day so it's it's important that uh, again everyone continues doing what they're doing everyone's pitched in and uh we're gonna we're gonna light the economy on fire once we get through this other stage now i know not last week um there was a demonstration about pandemic pay for nurses i know it was brought up in the legislature uh, built 124 is one thing that's in a way ancient history and that was an arbitrator's decision but some nurses are saying they're entitled to a bonus uh, and haven't got it. Is it delayed? What could you tell them if they're listening? Well, first of all, they're heroes. Uh, that's what I want to tell them. All, all the frontline uh, essential service uh, folks are heroes. Uh, the, right, right, right down to the grocery clerk. Imagine the people, uh, all the people they have to deal with going through uh, their lines and everything. So they're all heroes. And I spent every single penny we had. And I, I just wish I could spend more. There's 300 and 75,000 uh, people that uh, are, are going to get pandemic pay. It's the largest in the history of this country. And uh, if, if you would have heard me, uh, you know, talking to the Treasury, you know, saying we need more, you know, we, I want to I give everyone it. And they just said, you know, Doug, we're, we're, we don't have any money left. So they're, they're incredible. They're going to uh, make sure they get paid. I know the money's flowing now. Uh, we had to reach out to over 2,000 employers and uh, make sure that this is all retroactive so everyone's going to get their paychecks and we're going to get a a bigger lump sum because it it hasn't come through yet. Um, But everyone's going to get equal amounts uh, right across the the province. But there's 375,000 heroes, and there's probably another half a million heroes that uh, unfortunately uh, aren't able to get this pandemic pay. But I know the private sector and public sector, uh, they're doing everything they can to help people out. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good news for them, and, and they'll be happy to hear it. I'm going to ask you about retail. You mentioned grocery stores. Malls are reopening. Okay. Indoor air, not great ventilation. I know you've said uh, what you've said about masks. Um, they're not mandatory in the in the province, but would you encourage store owners, who you've said before can turn away maskless customers, would you take the opportunity to send a strong message to store owners to to insist on masks for service, especially? Doug, in these indoor environments, people are listening to you here, and you've got influence. You could send a strong message to not only shoppers but store owners that, that it's it's the right thing to do if we want to get where we need to get to. Well, we've been encouraging everyone to wear some sort of face coverings, uh, be it mask, face covering, a scarf, when they go into uh, stores. And what it does is really protect the other people around you. And if everyone had them, I, I think it would be a lot safer. And we, we want to encourage the, the store, owners, uh, store owners and the mall owners to encourage people to go in there. The, the problem is we, we just can't, and I, I just don't believe in a police state. I, I just don't. That uh, We've all stuck together. Everyone's following protocol. We've went through, you know, we've climbed mountains together. So when you can, please wear a face covering of some sort because you're going to protect uh, the people around you, and it just makes it a safer environment. And it's not going to be forever. Now, in saying that, people with any respiratory problems, uh, young children, uh, anyone with asthma, um, they they shouldn't be wearing a mask, as a, as a doctor says. But they they don't want to be uh, you know pointed out in the middle of a mall because someone has a, a respiratory problem. They don't know, and, and everyone's pointing the finger at those people. And so we we just want everyone, uh, vast majority of the people, to, to wear that. And I think a lot of people are. Um, you know, I, I see more more face coverings and than uh, I thought there would be. So it'd be great if everyone could follow that uh, protocol. I know we're tight for time, but I, I, I want to follow up on that. I, I, do, I know you don't want a police state, but especially as we move from one to two, are you encouraging mayors that there has to be some level of, um, you know, of encouragement, of following the rules? I, I think we'd go back several Saturdays ago. I know it enraged you. It enraged a lot of us, the, the Trinity Bellwood scene. And, and as good a job as the city of Toronto's done, I think a lot of people thought they dropped the ball that day. They weren't there when they needed. They were there the next day, but they needed to be there the day before. Would you be encouraging cities to make certain that people are doing what they can w- without being obtrusive? Yes, I, absolutely. I'm, I'm on the phone literally. I, I don't, and I'm not exaggerating. I don't leave the office till midnight every night. I'm on the phone at all hours, talking to as many mayors as I can. Uh, just to, first of all, offer our support and anything they need. Uh, we're there for them, and just to encourage them to make sure that uh, they, they're diligent when it comes to asking people in their communities to wear face coverings. I, I think it goes a long, long way. And again, uh, I have all the confidence in the world and the people of Ontario. And, you know, we, we, we saw that happen in uh, the, the park and then we saw, you know, the beaches. Uh, actually, yeah. when I looked at the beaches, I, I, I thought it was uh, South Beach there. <laughs> And uh, we just have to be a little more careful. I, I, you know, you know, I, I get it, Greg. People are, are going squirrely, stuck in their homes. It's a beautiful uh, day out. They want to get out, but just practice social distancing. It's uh, that's the most important thing. As uh, last thing for you, as proud as you are of our numbers, I, I have to ask you uh, about the states. I know you have ties down there. So do I. Uh, business down there. Um, we probably feel the same about the great city of Chicago. Can't wait to go to Chicago again. And I'm not asking yeah. you to talk about the president or, or politics, but but I'm aching seeing the numbers. As proud as you are of your province doing so well, the, they're our closest ally. They're our protector. They're a hugely important yeah. trading partners you emphasized. 
and it's awful. And and people have seen your emotion and they relate to it uh, when you speak. So so many listeners want to would go there uh, a year from now for sports trips, concerts, whatever. How does it make you feel, Premier Ford, watching? It go the wrong direction. Cases blow up. They're headed towards 130,000 deaths. It's it's horrifying. Yeah, it really, really bothered me the other day when I saw Florida hit 4,000 cases on one day. And I'm thinking, man, what are they doing? They, they you know, I, I totally call them the governor down there. I know a lot of the governors, and but that's not my jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. But at least offer help or something because, see, that's the reason. When, when our team, and our team is 15 million people, we're close to 15 million people. Uh, when we all stuck together, and in the U.S., they were they were they were too busy fighting with each other down there. That that's what happens. And here in Ontario and Canada, it didn't matter if you're part of the the Green Party, Orange Party, Red Party, or Blue Party. Everyone stuck together. Everyone's falling in the same direction. And when we do that, again, Greg, we we are unstoppable. And the numbers are showing it. Uh, they showed me a graph the other day of all the regions in North America. And where was Ontario? We were number one. The lowest cases per 100,000. And again, it's not about uh, our government or anything. It's about the people. Because without the people uh, following the protocol and the guidelines, uh, we'd, we'd probably be in the same shape as uh, Florida or, or Michigan or New York State. And that, that concerns me going into another topic about the borders. We're looking at yeah. the, the borders opening up on July 21st. That's a federal jurisdiction. But I was very blunt with the, the prime minister, uh, you know, and he's doing a good job, by the way. I just said, hey, if, if we can't do a better job at the borders than we did in the past, then we're going to send provincial people in there and, and uh, do the proper screening before before they're allowed to go into the communities. Well, it affa- I, I got to bring that up. It affects us a lot more than Manitoba. It affects us a lot more than, you know, Prince Edward Island. You, you know, you know what, what it's like in the summer trying to cross the Peace Bridge or the or go Windsor or at Windsor, Detroit or Sarnia Port Huron. It's that's what people want to do. And Americans sure want to come to Ontario. And it's 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 not right. We, we, we can't have it yet. Yeah, I agree. So that, that's myself and Francois Legault. We're, we're telling them that uh, we aren't in favor of opening the border at this time. The economic development side, that's flowing, so that's good. The trucks are going back and forth. We do about $390 billion a year in two-way trade, and uh, so that's going fine. But, uh, you know, we just have to hold off a little bit longer and uh, make sure that uh, everyone's safe on both sides of the, the border. I appreciate it so much, the extra time. Uh, I wish you the best. I know how hard uh, you're working. I know how hard everybody at Queen's Park, uh, in, with all the parties, is working to make sure uh, Ontario does the best they can these next several months. I hope we get to chat again later in the summer. Thanks for the time today. I, I look forward to it. Thanks so much, Greg. You're an absolute champion. Thank you. Got it. Premier Doug Ford uh, joining us on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're going to talk about streaming services. If you are like me and you stream old and new, uh, you'll know a lot of the NBC shows. Okay, and I was an NBC kid. The Peacock, forget about it. Like must-see TV Thursday night. But a lot of those shows haven't been available on streaming services. Your Netflix, your Amazon, wherever. They will be now. It's a give. It will be the gift that keeps giving when I can show all my, my my two sons every single episode of all five seasons of Miami Vice. You don't know how difficult this has been living without it. Joining us to discuss, uh, and and again, a Christmas present is coming for him just for those five Miami Vice seasons. Troy Reeve, uh, Executive Vice President, Broadcast Networks, 
course, and global news. You've made me a happy man. Uh, there's nothing more that you could say today to make me happier. Uh, Don Johnson was my hero. He might still be. Troy, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy person. Well, I, I may have to disappoint you a little bit, Greg, because the, the deal that we've done to bring all of the brand new Peacock original programming to Canada doesn't necessarily include all of the old uh, NBC library um, uh, from the past, which uh, it, it actually is going, and, and it's not actually clear whether that programming will even pop up on the Peacock service in the U.S. because mm-hmm. uh, the various studios that make those shows all license those individually, and, so, and it's the uh, interweaving of uh, this uh, of this TV licensing world, where there are multiple license windows for new shows that get uh, that get made, and um, and the Peacock service in the U.S. Uh, is not the service that's going to be coming into Canada. What we were super thrilled to be able to announce yesterday is that um, we've secured a deal with NBC Universal for all of the new content that's going to be made for uh, for Peacock, which, as you noted, is going to be the latest entrant into the streaming wars in the U.S. Uh, and NBCU is, this, is one of the biggest studios in the world. Uh, they're going to be making all kinds of fantastic new shows for this service. Um, and, and here in Canada, those shows are all going to be coming to, uh, to Chorus Entertainment for us to use on our linear TV channels, as well as in our uh, streaming platforms like the Global TV app uh, and, uh, and Stack TV. Well, I'm hopeful for the future. I think there's a, and, and you're right, there's so many complications because Murder She Wrote was a CBS show that's now owned by NBC Universal. There's a lot of, a lot of yeah. transactions between the, the, the services and the networks. And, and I don't need to tell you how complicated it, it is sometimes with, with geo blocking and whatnot for, uh, for the U.S. and Canada, often with, with services. Netflix U.S. is not the same as Netflix Canada. It's sometimes tough to get on the same page with it. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, yesterday we bought a brand new show uh, for um, uh, for the global schedule this fall, for instance, The Equalizer, uh, which is a reboot of an old show uh, and also which then became a couple of big feature films with Denzel Washington. This one's going to feature Queen Latifah as The Equalizer. So they're switching it to a female character and it's going to be just as kick ass as uh, as the movies. But this is a show that's made for the CBS network in the U.S., but is actually made by NBC Universal as a studio. So you're right. There's always a interesting interweaving of um, of studios versus actual networks and, and platforms. Troy Reeb is our guest, 900 CHML. We're talking about the deal uh, to go with uh, some NBC Universal programming, a lot of brand new programming, some marquee programming. Um, I, I want to bring up the Tina Fey show because she's been rather quiet career-wise. You know, uh, parenting does that. Quiet career-wise since 30 Rock. Uh, she's been in commercials. She's done a few things. But uh, she's executive producer of another brand new show that people are going to get to see as well. Yeah, this is going to be a really funny comedy called uh, Girls 5 Eva. Um, and the joke there is that it was a four-person uh, four girl group, um, you know, musical group, and then they added a fifth, and they didn't change the name from Girls 4 Eva to so it's now Girls 5 Eva. But it's about this, you know, they were a hit girl group when they were in their teens, and uh, now they have one shot to make it again. And it's uh, what we've seen of it is going to be uh, be very, very funny. The very first show we're going to get out of this new deal is – um, is a big sci-fi extravaganza, Brave New World, based on the Aldous Huxley novel. And um, and it's going to be really impressive. It stars uh, Alden Ehrenreich, who I think 
listeners will know as Han Solo in the um, in the most recent iteration of Han Solo in the Star Wars movies, um, and uh, and it's going to be really fantastic, and that'll that'll roll out onto screens this fall. I've heard some comparisons of it to Handmaid's Tale, who if people gave that a go, uh, and again that's there's there's a classic. You know, classic novel from Margaret Atwood. Uh, Aldous Huxley wrote, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of things like Brave New World. But if it's anything like Handmaid's Tale, it's going to be pretty explosive. Yeah, it's uh, it's really quite prophetic, and um, uh, and, I, and what I've seen of it, uh, the trailers uh, just look uh, fantastic. You were talking about how um, you know the the IP, the shows that we grew up with. Uh, you know, coming back, there's actually one of the things that w- that is included in our deal is that we're going to get um, renewals of uh, of shows like Punky Brewster and Saved by the Bell. These aren't reboots of them. These are actually the same characters now as grown-up sitcoms instead of child and teenage sitcoms. So uh, I think there's a real opportunity to connect with people who love those characters growing up and to uh, check in with them now that they're adults. Couldn't get my college roommates to stop watching Saved by the Bell. They just I, now I don't know if they wanted to be Mario Lopez or they were just into Elizabeth Berkley and Tiffany Amber. It was probably a combination of both. It's fifty fifty. I'm gonna and both Mario Lopez and Elizabeth <laughs> Berkley are coming back for that. So. That's right. I did. I did see that. Tell the audience uh, listening about the uh, like so many complications, obviously with. Uh, I know production for movies and TVs can now start again in, in Toronto based on the move to stage two, as long as it's properly distanced. But it's remarkable to me, and I was talking to somebody else yesterday about it, that there's so many shows that are are new that are in the can that they got they were able to get done before the middle of March. That's sometimes not the case for fall shows. No, you're right, and um, and and production shutdowns have plagued the industry for sure. They've made it tougher to buy new shows for the traditional fall TV season. What we did was we went out and early on secured some uh, great product that had already been finished, and it's not unusual for shows to air, you know, almost a year after they've been uh, what they've wrapped up because post production could continue, um, where people are all alone in an edit suite, for instance. Um, uh, but, you know, we had to shut down Big Brother Canada right in the middle of the show back in March. And it's just now that productions are starting to get back in. And there's still a lot of complications around that. Productions are having a hard time getting insurance in case people come down with COVID. They can't get uh, stars across the border um, or in and out of the country, um, those kinds of things. So. The way we solved that was, as I say, we started early to buy up shows. We actually held some of our spring shows that we were going to premiere in the spring or summer. We've held them back for the fall. Uh, For instance, uh, Departure, which is a big uh, Canadian-led drama starring Christopher Plummer as an aircraft uh, air crash investigator, um, you know, leading an investigation of a plane that went down over the Atlantic. It's a real mystery thriller, and it's a big-budget international production. Um, we've held that back, so it's going to kick in uh, this fall. Um, and we picked up a really cool new sci-fi show for Global this fall called Next, uh, which is about what happens when artificial intelligence gets a little too intelligent and starts you know, taking over our lives. Uh, that one's all shot and in the can and ready to go for the fall as well. Well, it's Troy Reeb joining us, by the way, Executive Vice President, Broadcast Networks, for course, uh, and Global News. I want to talk about news. I, I think it's been a really, you know, it's, it's been a challenging four or five months for journalism, uh, print, radio, TV, but I also think it's proved its importance. I think people getting information, that's been vital. Getting real, uh, you know, real-time information about how they can live their daily lives has been. And I wanted to bring that up because Global's delivering 60 Minutes. That's that's a big coup. That is a Sunday tradition for a lot of people, right? I grew up as a kid. You watch your NFL, 60 Minutes is coming. Pat Summerall will tell you that 60 Minutes is coming up next, and it's on Global this fall. 
Yeah, we decided to bring uh, 60 Minutes and 48 Hours, which is another CBS News magazine, to the uh, to the global schedule, partly because there is such an appetite right now for more fact-based, trustworthy information, and there are a few brands in uh, information television more trustworthy than 60 Minutes. I, I really can't think of any. It makes a nice pairing with, um, with our local news in the Global National and in the 60 Minutes. Uh, on Sunday night. And on Saturday nights, uh, we've developed over the last year a really great homegrown Canadian true crime story. It started as a podcast. It's now a television show called Crime Beat. It's been incredibly successful because it looks at infamous Canadian crimes through the eyes of the people who live through the trauma and, most importantly, the victims' families. And we're pairing that with 48 Hours on Saturday nights, and 48 Hours, of course, kind of originated the true crime genre back in the 90s in the U.S. So we think it'll be a, a, a really good uh, one-two combo for viewers. Amazing, amazing. Uh, all right, so that we'll go back to the beginning, that podcast where I watch uh, a Miami Vice episode and break it down. for That has to wait for now at the very minimum. If we can put it into some kind of pre-production, right, we can work on some opens and closes, but but you're t- it, I'll, I'll, I'll wait on it. It's on pause for right now, you're telling me. That- but you know, what we can do right now is neither of us should wear socks. Just <laughs> nor shave. And many of us have not yeah, been. nor shave. Uh, that's how it works. Troy, thank you very much for the time. I think that's exciting stuff. I was pleased to hear it. Like I said, there's a lot of NBC content that uh, Canadians haven't been, able to, haven't been able to get and haven't been able to stream, and now they will be able to. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate having me on. You got it. Troy Reeb, uh, Executive Vice President, President Broadcast Networks for Chorus and Global News. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. You'll know our next guest uh, if you watch, and you should. Global News, 530 and 6 o'clock here with Farah Nasser, of course. And you can hear him noon to 1 on our sister-slash-brother-slash-cousin station uh, on Global News Radio, uh, 640 Toronto. It's the Alan Carter Radio Program, which which is on in about uh, 90 minutes. So he's taking some time prepping. Uh, I wanted to bring you on, Alan, because I heard your show yesterday. I heard the first uh, uh, bunch of minutes and really impassioned stuff. And and for people who don't know, you've covered the crime beat. You've covered it all here. You've got contacts in police, contacts in in you know the legal field. And, and you, you were talking about the SIU, Special Investigations. And clearly, clearly, in your estimation, um, it is it needs some fixing. It needs some adjustment. The trust is uh, has been breached between a lot of the public and special investigations units. Yeah, thanks, Greg. And you know, don't listen to me, Bon. Listen to the mayors. Listen to John Tory. Listen to Bonnie Crombie. Uh, you know, other mayors right across this province who say we need significant reform to the special investigations unit. How is it possible? How is it possible that we can continue to have very questionable interactions between police and people with mental health issues, between police and people of color, black and indigenous Canadians? And and what do we hear from the SIU? We'll get back to you in 12 to 18 months. Well, yeah, that is not good enough, Greg. And I don't think, I, I, I mean, I've just, I've worked myself up into a bit of a yeah. outrage about it because I we have this thing in this in the in our country in our province where we seem to want to just like oh, okay we'll accept okay well oh oh all right oh, due process fine okay get back to us that's not good enough anymore and I think we have to start hard start asking some hard questions and say we need some reform from that special investigations unit because it's too close to the cops it's too opaque it's not transparent and there is a lack of confidence and if there's a lack of confidence in an authority like that we got a real big problem 
Alan, I'll tell you who it's also not fair to. And again, total empathy and understanding with, with victims, the families, the communities. I'll tell you who it's not fair to. Good cops. It's not fair to good cops. If if I went, you know, went to Regis Korchinski Paquette's apartment, if I'm, uh, you know, out uh, with the, the shootings that have occurred, uh, Rodney Levy, uh, Chantel Moore, and I did everything I was supposed to do, but my it takes 12 to 18 months for my name to get cleared. That's a problem. Absolutely. You're 100% right. And the police have been calling for some reforms, too. And you heard that from the Peel police. Have They put out a statement saying, please act quickly in the case of Ijaz Chaudhry and, the, and some of the DeAndre Campbell uh, in Toronto. The police chief here, Mark Saunders, has said, please act quickly in the case of Regis uh, Corchetsi Paquette. And what do we get? What do we get? We get, you know, we get a, you know, a news release on their website saying, oh, we got some video. We're in possession of video. Oh, is that the same video that's been playing 24 hours a day on the news channels? Because guess what? We've seen it, too. What's the, uh, the the scenario here with the Ejaz Chowdhury thing is has so many complexities. What was your what was your initial thought on on the news reports that you saw uh, about the particular case? Um, and and subsequently, now we're on Wednesday, and again, not much. The same story from the family, and that's understandable. Grief and anger, uh, and not very much in terms of information from the police. No, and you know, I, I had Bonnie Crombie, the mayor of Mississauga, on my show, and she said straight up, you know, the community the community does not have any confidence in the SIU, and she also has called for, you know, this to go quickly, do it fast, come up with something, even if it's an interim. You know, like, I'll get this in the full report, but this is our assessment of what's happened. But, you know, when I, I think for a lot of people, when I saw the video and I heard the reports of what had happened Saturday night, I just thought about uh, Sammy Yatim. Mm-hmm. I thought about Sammy Yatim. And I thought about, you know, if we hadn't had um, citizen journalism in that case, you know, would we have ever gotten the truth as the public about what happened when James Fursillo did? And how is it possible that, you know, that the, the James Fursillo uh, serves that little time and is it, found guilty of attempted murder? Like, go and read that about that mm-hmm. case and try and figure out the logic behind that, because I tell you, you can. It's, it's crazy. And, you know, so I, when I saw what happened to Mr. Chowdhury, I just thought, here we go again. You know, like the police force, there's no, you know, the, the number of times we say, oh, police need better training. Oh, that's a bad apple. Like, how many more bad apples and how many more times do we have to say better training and all this sort of stuff? And how many people have to die before we really get a hold of this and ask ourselves, why are we sending guys with guns to deal with people with mental health breakdowns? Yeah. I, Global's Alan Carter, our guest. I, I got about a minute, but I do want to ask, is there some kind of hybrid system? You led me to where I wanted to go with the last question. Is there, I also understand if, if someone is viewed as a danger, if it's not a, a wellness check, but it's, hey, there's a guy running in an apartment building and he's got a giant knife. I get we can't send a counselor, but I don't know that we have to go with, with you know five fully armed robocops into, we see those videos in the States and we think we're better than that. I'm not so sure and you're not so sure, are we? No, I think the evidence... The numbers, I mean, it's just right there for us all to see. It is. It's right there for all to see. And I don't pretend I have the answers, because you're right. Mm-hmm. There are cases where people are a threat to themselves and a threat to others, and police have to respond with force. I, I, you know, I'm not Pollyannish to believe that, you know, the use of force is not required. 
But the number of times we keep going back and saying, what, what I, you guys need better use of force training and, and how to de-escalate. And you need, you know, and, and everybody, oh yeah, you're right. Oh, we promise we'll do better. And guess what? Uh, time's up. So it's so time's up. Alan Carter, Global News 5.30 and 6 tonight. Alan Carter uh, show coming up on Global News Radio 640 Toronto at noon today. Thank you for this. Have a great show. Uh, it was great yesterday. Have another one today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on. Got it, being man. on. Thanks so much. Got it. See you soon. Alan Carter joining us. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Speaking of education, uh, I'm going to shout out my own son. I don't do this regularly. Parents who talk about their kids, blah, 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 blah. It's so boring. But my son won the uh, History and Geography Award. Why is that a separate? Why isn't that separate categories? He won the History and Geography Award for grade eight at Lakeside Elementary School. Yeah, online last night. He was nominated for a few others. Only walked away with the one. And he was up against five girls. Six nominees, five girls, one boy. It was him. And when the teacher started to say, this student, blah, 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 he, then we knew he'd already won. So he kind of killed the suspense. This would be the problem if the Oscars ever went best person who acts instead of best actor, best actress. You'll give it away. The devil's in the details sometimes. All right, new math curriculum. Okay, and again, he's just like me. He was never going to win an award in math and science. History and geography, maybe. Maybe, possibly, but not math or uh, science or other things that I stunk. Health. Stunk at health. Um, But math is going to get taught a little differently. And the teachers say it's too fast. Parents have been asking, begging for changes to mathematics curriculum for a long, long time. Let's bring in uh, from the Globe and Mail. I don't think anyone's more plugged into education uh, as a reporter, as a journalist in this country than our next guest, uh, Caroline Alfonso from the Globe and Mail. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Good to talk to you again. Hi, Greg. Good to talk to you. Congratulations to your son. That's big news. Oh, uh, we're basking. You know, we want, we we would have demanded, Rachel and I would have thought three or four awards. So, you know, he's disappointed <laughs> us again, but we're going to move past it. You know, he's still but biologically ours, I believe. History, geography, big deal. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get home, Caroline, and say, "All right, show me Italy. Show me. There's a country that looks like a boot in Europe. What do you think it is?" And he's going to be like, "I don't know, Finland." He's going to be Donald Trump, thinking Finland's part of Russia. This isn't going to be good when I get home. But we're going to go well, through the globe and see if it works. Maybe it's time to do those master rolls again, then. <laughs> well, I look. I I feel very adamant uh, uh, about teachers, and I I would call myself. I'm not very objective. I'm a big defender of them. I don't think they've got a leg to stand on to complain about two months to implement curriculum. I, I've seen, uni- I know university professors have to do it all the time. Think of what university professors are juggling right now, getting ready for uh, an uncertain September, October. Parents asked for this. They asked for new, more practical math, business-oriented math. Here it is. You're getting it. We're, we're getting rid of the standardized testing as well that a lot of parents complained about. Um, I, I, what is your thought on it? So, I, I mean, yes, you're right. Parents, many parents have been asking for it. Many people have been asking for it. You know, uh, Doug Ford campaigned on an election promise that if he was if he was elected, that he would change the math curriculum in the province to sort of get back to basics um, that people have been asking for. Um, you know, Greg, you and I have seen, like, scores, math standardized test scores have been slipping in Ontario. Um the last round, uh, so kids didn't do it this year, but in the previous year, half of less than half of grade, fewer than half of grade six kids uh, met the provincial standard. So we have two months of the summer. We have two months of a pandemic summer, yeah. and it's going to. I, you know, 
I understand the need for it and the desire for it. Um, I think the issue is how are we going to train teachers? I have questions around that. How is that going to happen when there's so much uncertainty about what September is going to look like, right? Um, we don't know how kids are mm-hmm. returning back to school. So I think there's questions about, like, how are those webinars and how is that professional development going to work during a summer when boards are in the midst of planning for three different scenarios of what back to school could look like. Absolutely. I, I, I get all that, and I think it's fair to to make comment on it. I, I would certainly say, and you're well aware of this, I think our listeners are too, that that some of, of what, you know, elementary schools especially do uh, is is they, you know, they shift, they move the cards around a lot. They move teachers from one grade to another. They say, what worked with this curriculum this year? Let's do more of this, less of this based on student responses. Um, so, it's not like, uh, and again, I feel like I, they, teachers shouldn't fall into this, um, you know, the people who are critics of teachers stereotype, them, oh, you, you know, your grade six teacher, you just teach the same thing every year. They don't. That's an incredibly unfair criticism. So I think they're quite adept at moving on the fly. I really do. They are. And this this curriculum is, is quite new and fresh and interesting. Like, there's still some components that were always there. That's not going to, that's not going to leave. But like, it's teaching kids some, you know, some real world kind of current, current things like, you know, um, coding, for example, is now in the curriculum. There's a whole strand or area on coding and kids in grade one. So my little one who starts mm-hmm. grade one in September, hopefully, uh, will be will be learning how like very basics, of course, age appropriate, how to code. Um I agree. I think there's some, you know, some relevant information here, some for kids today that kids will want to jump on, and many are actually already doing that. Um, And uh, we'll see how it rolls out in September. Um, since Friday's announcement, and, and uh, I talked about this on the weekend uh, with Dr. Charles Pascal, who I've got a lot of respect for, and Wednesday the Sick Kids report comes out. I don't doubt it means well. They're right about a lot that's in the report about about kids and you know the mental health perspective. My kids are older, as you know. I, I can only imagine what some days and and evenings are like with a lot younger kids. But there were just there were gaps in it. Uh, some critics said holes in it. Some epidemiologists said. And then Friday it gets referenced a couple times by the premier and, and the education minister. In the cool, in 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 reflecting on those that sort of forty-eight hour span now, uh, mm-hmm. when you look back, what what did the province? They're in a jam. I get it. They don't know what September will look like. But was there sort of a rush to push something out there? And a lot of people thought the sick kids report was kind of coordinated to to put some oomph behind it. There was there were questions and there were eyebrows raised about the timing of the sick kids report. Um, I mean, I I I don't know. I I. I don't want to speculate on sort of what the links were, but, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there was, I mean, the government had to say what September could look like. Other provinces had done that. So Alberta had also come out with three scenarios, quite similar scenarios to Ontario. BC has done it. You know, New Brunswick has said kids will go back to school. Um, Their cases are, of course, very low to nil. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there was this, anticipation from parents like you and me who wanted to know what our kids are getting back to in September. You know, a lot of kids are have been home since March break, and um, some kids are not doing so well, right? Like, uh, learning may have paused in households. There's mental health issues. There's, yeah. there's a whole host of issues, and uh, sometimes for many kids, 
school is the place where they feel safe. Um, and they want to, and you know, they want to get back to that. So I think, you know, there was there was some pressure, and the government did say uh, a couple of months back that by the end of June they would sort of release a plan for back to school. The sick kids report did play a role in that. Um, you know, sick kids talked about uh, physical distancing and what could happen in a classroom. You know, with desks spaced apart, no assemblies, but outside kids can run kids it's hard to physically yeah. distance little kids right and yeah. so the government said well we'll do cohorting which is like a group of 15 kids that are kind of attached and can play together and they would stay separated how it's going to play out greg is is a guess right no one kids, knows kids just like gravitate to each yeah. other right I, away yeah um caroline alfonso global male education reporter i got about a minute do you like ppe i for teachers that i've talked to and i'm sure you've talked to tons since friday I think there's three routes the the province can go. They can mandate it, a PPE or a, or or an N95 mask. They don't seem to want to do that for right now. The second, make it optional for teachers. The third is not allowing it, and I can't see that. There are going to be teachers that say, "I've got to I've got to go in, even if it's every other day, and whatever I'm getting at school, I'm bringing right back into my own house to my husband, my wife, uh, my girlfriend, whatever. I, I can't be doing that. What are you hearing yeah. from teachers about what they want in that department? Well, I mean, the government did say that PP is not required. It's not mandated, but there are going to be circumstances where teachers or, you know, who are, who are in that risk group or just because of comfort level will wear their own PPE. I don't think the government's going to provide PPE. Okay. Um, but yeah, teachers, I, I expect a few teachers to be wearing masks when they're sort of in close quarters with kids. Interesting. Hey, uh, you do great work. I really appreciate it. I know it's been busy, so thanks for making the time. Thanks, Caroline. But, Thanks, Greg. Got it. Caroline Alfonso from The Globe and Mail. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Greg Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.